I thank you for this opportunity to gather together in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Here in this midweek, Lord, we so desire to be refreshed. And uh, I pray that you would do that very thing. Lord, thank you for our worship team and thank you for the time just to be before you and, and plead your mercy and, and just look to you, God, and, and honor you in, in worshiping you. But right now, Lord, we, we all have uh, on our minds uh, this election coming up. And I pray, Father, that you, by your uh, wonderful, wonderful work in, in our lives, Lord, that you would speak through us and use us, Lord, as your vessels, as you do in every area of our life. We pray that we would vote in a way that honors you. And uh, Lord, as I pray before, and I, I seriously mean it, uh, don't give us leaders that we deserve. Give us leaders we need. And have mercy on us, Lord. And help us to, to uh, really influence this election with uh, voting and many uh, local uh, propositions on the ballot that that are about intoxication and and then there's uh, leaders that are pro-abortion and there's so many reasons that we need to involve ourselves and vote uh, second amendment rights and just pray lord that you would help us to be decisive and and to honor you again as we vote bless your people and bless this nation we pray and Lord, as we turn to your word now, I pray that you would uh, take the words right from the page, Lord, and help us to apply them into our lives, written so long ago, some 4,000 years ago. And yet, Lord, very, very pertinent as we look at the man Abram tonight. So teach us, we pray, by your word in Jesus. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis. We're in chapter 13. And uh, we're studying about this man, Abram. He's the grandson of Noah. His father was Shem. The Semite people come from that name, Shem. And so he's the father of the Jews. He's the father of the, the uh, uh, chosen people. And that's why he is so important. That's why we really need to uh, look at him and study him as, as Moses has written down this historical record uh, about his life. As he's learning to trust the Lord, we, we as Christians look to him as a man of faith, and, and he's heralded for that. But he didn't start that way. He started like you and I. He didn't have a lot of faith, and God is growing him through hardships and trials. All of us grow that way, through high hardships and trials. It's through the hardship. It's through the child that the child of God, a trial that the child of God will grow. There's no other way around it. If you're in a trial right now, you just have to pray that God's grace for you through the trial because God's going to take you through it. And he took so many people. As you look at the, the historical record of the Bible, the Old Testament, every patriarch went through it. They went through difficult times, and God got them through. But you have to trust the Lord in the trial. That's what grew this man, uh, Abram, who we're looking at. He's learning to trust God more and more because he was originally called to Canaan. He didn't trust God. He, there was a famine and there were some nasty people, the Canaanites there. Instead of staying there during the famine, he went south to Egypt. He didn't trust the Lord. He didn't stay in it. He ran from it. He didn't listen to God's counsel. And he goes to Egypt. Remember, he lied. He lied about his wife. He gets kicked out of Egypt. While he's there, though, he's, he makes a killing. He makes a, a lot of money. He and Lot become rich. I mean, stinking, filthy, 
rich. These guys come back from Egypt and they're, they've got all kinds of, of riches. When he comes back though, he's learned a little bit more. Remember where he came when he came back from Egypt? We looked at it last week. He went right, he went right to Bethel, to that original place. And what did he do there? Look at verse 4 of chapter 13. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram failed, went south to Egypt, was kicked out of Egypt, and he repented. He came back to Bethel and said, Lord, I'm sorry. And he begins to worship the Lord. Lord, I should have stayed here. I should have waited on you. I should have trusted you. And he, So he's learning. That's a, a good thing. But you'd think that he'd learn more, and, and he didn't learn a lot because he's got more trials and things to go through because now there's a, a consequence of this, the riches that Lot and Abraham have made while they were in Egypt. There's a consequence to that. There's a conflict that arises between Abram and Lot now. And that's the, the, the topic of our Bible study tonight. I've called it solving problems with Lot. Abram's going to deal with Lot here. Beginning in verse 5, let's read these first few verses. Lot, also who went with Abraham, he had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. They were there too in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brethren. Is not the whole land before you, Lot? Please separate from me, Abram says. If you take the left, then I'm going to go right. If you go to the right, I'll go left. And verse 10 says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan and the beautiful river that flowed down it. And it was all well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the plain of Jordan, or pardon me, the, pardon me, like the garden of the Lord, like in the land of Egypt as you go to Zoor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked, and sinful against the Lord. Now, I think it's really important at this point to to note that Abraham, he hadn't uh, gone to Egypt. If he hadn't gone to Egypt in the first place, if he hadn't made that first decision, he wouldn't have this problem now. Because if you go back to verse 2, and I've already told you this, while he was in Egypt, he became rich. Look at verse 2. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. So he had it when he went down to Egypt, but now he's made a killing there. He's, he's become rich in not only him, but his nephew Lot as well. So he got rich in Egypt because he lied. He got rich in Egypt because he compromised. He got rich in Egypt because he was a scoundrel. He wasn't trusting the Lord. He wasn't obeying the Lord, but he, he compromised and lied. And now, but when they come back, he's kicked out of Egypt, as you recall. He comes back to Canaan, and they're rich. And it's the riches, my first point here, it's the riches that cause their conflict. They're both really rich. They have lots of possessions. They have lots of livestock. Again, I draw your attention to verse 5. 
Let also who went with Abraham, he had flocks and herds and tents, verse 6, now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not live or dwell together. They're so rich, they have so much stuff, they can't live together. Their herds are large. They, they're running into each other. Now, you have to remember that the people in Canaan were very nomadic. Uh, Canaan is a very interesting land. If you've been to Israel, um, it's, it's a very interesting land. There's some high uh, areas. There's some low areas where the River Jordan runs. So that area is very fertile. It runs down to the Dead Sea. It becomes desert the further you go south. But there's some real beautiful land uh, in Israel. But there wasn't enough land for the massive herds of both of these families, Abrams and, and Lot's. And so the herdsmen were, were bringing their herds to water. And there's not enough water for Abrams and Lot's and the Perizzites and the Canaanites. You know, they're, they're going in the water holes, gone. And they're arguing. I brought my my animals here. You, you take your over there. And the, the master, you know, their master, they're trying to please their master. Well, my master Lot expects me to, to water the herd, the sheep, the goats, the camels, whatever it might be. And well, my master Abraham, he expects me to do it. And so you can just see there's some kind of fight going on. They, who knows? They, they might even gone to, gone to blows. They're both trying to please their master's intention gets so bad that Abraham and Lot realize, verse 6, they could not dwell together. Now, the thing that caused their conflict was their riches, all their stuff. And I want you to listen to this quote. Someone said this. I, I think I've got it on the screen. Abundance, abundance not only battles for your heart, but it complicates our lives. Who would agree with that? That, that things and stuff... And the pursuit of that really does make your life complicated. Would you agree with that statement? Now, some of us, we look at someone that's got a lot of money. Now, I was up in Montana hunting a couple of weeks ago, and it's a very, very wealthy area, Hamilton. Um, there's some regular folks that live there, but off on the hills. It's like the Ponderosa. I mean, stinking rich. Six and 8,000 square foot homes with 100 acre spreads and, and lots of game and it, beautiful fence lines and horses, you know, these stallions out front, you know, just flaunting their riches. People that made money in Google and the dot-com era own homes there. Just people that are stinking rich. And sometimes we look at that and we go, oh, Lord, Lord, like Tevia in the Fiddler on the roof. Would it be so bad if I had some money, Lord? <laughs> what's, what's wrong with me making a little bit of money? With money comes responsibility. And you know that. When, when you buy a house, you, your dream, and you, there's some young people here with the kids, and it's like, i got to have a house. And you get a house, and guess what happens? Then you, have to, then you become a $200 or $300 member of the Home Depot. That means every time you go there, you spend 200 bucks. And, and you, you're a slave to the stuff now. So, so when you have things, they, they, they battle for competition in your lives. And these two, Abram and Lot, verse 6, their possessions were so great they couldn't even live together. They were arguing about their stuff, their possessions. Here's the application. Paul made a, a great statement, and you probably know as I share this with you. He made a great statement about contentment or being satisfied with what you have. You remember it? Here it is behind me on the screen, 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is what? 
Those are really important words for us, Christians, especially when we look at someone else that has more than us. The neighbor on the street, maybe, maybe your boss at work, somebody at work's got more than you. I just want that. If I had that, I'd be so happy. Just that, that boat, that boat or that, that sand toy. Oh, we would just, every weekend we'd have so much fun. We'd, the family, we'd spend Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'd just be together as a family. You wouldn't go to church. You'd be on your boat. You'd be in, your, in the sand. You'd be playing. And pretty soon your spiritual life is going to dwindle. You see what I mean? Money and things, stuff will compete in your life. So godliness with contentment is great gains. And here we see these two that are arguing about the stuff they had. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, how do I know if I'm really content? Here's, here's a couple of good questions. Do thoughts about money consume your day? Is all you think about is money during the day? Or how about this? Do you define success in terms of what you have rather than who you are in Christ? It's what I have. I maintain what I have. Rather than, oh, I've been blessed in the heavenlies. I, I just have Jesus. I, I mean, he's got a sand toy. He's got a big, beautiful home. But I got Jesus. I got eternal life. See, there's a difference. Uh, and if you're thinking that success is having stuff, you, you've got a problem with contentment. Or do you live in paralyzing fear that you're going to lose your stuff? Some people it's like, ah, I'm going to lose it. And they live in fear of that. Or concerning your giving, does God get your leftovers or your first fruits? Those, those are really telling questions. And the point here, we all work hard to gain. But when we're consumed with money and consumed with our stuff, we're never going to be content. That's what's going on in the story here tonight. And I, it's really interesting. Wealth is dangerous. It's, it's, it's a blessing, but it's also dangerous because the more you have, the more is required. Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, here's the words, to whom much is given, from him much will be required. So for some of you tonight that have very little, Praise God, there you go. Jesus said, you know, you won't be as required as much, you know, for the things that you have uh, in this lifetime. When your income increases, your accountability to God increases as well. And God gives you stuff, you're responsible for it, and you need to be thoughtful of those things. So Lot and Abraham, they, their increased wealth brings strife among them. Verse 7, and there was strife. Between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, the Canaanites and Paris, all these people that lived in the land. That word strife in the Hebrew is rib. Rib is the word controversy or dispute. There was dispute, there was argument, there was controversy among these people. So here's my next point, verse 8, Abram's gracious solution. Here we have a solution now by Abram. Remember, Abram went out of disobedience to Egypt. He's come back. He's been worshiping the Lord. So now he's got a different perspective. It's a gracious solution, verse 8. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen for, notice, we're brethren. We're brethren here. Verse 9 is, not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. He's got grace in his heart here. If you take the left, I'm going to go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Again, Abraham's fix to the solution of this problem is so gracious. It's, he, he's been touched by the Lord. He's spent time with God. And now he's not thinking about his stuff. He's put someone else before himself here. It's a beautiful picture of that. 
He wants to maintain peace. He wants to heal a, a, the strife that's between his people and Lot's people. And he believes that the only way to do it is to preserve it through separation. They've got to separate. They've got to go in way different directions here. So Abraham gives two reasons here. I love this. Number one, you see it right there at the end of verse 8. We are family or we're brethren. So these are his reasons that uh, this is the solution. You know, we, we can't argue. We can't have strife because we're family. We're, we're brethren. It's always that way with family, right? You're the closest with your family members, but sometimes your family can really hurt you. I think we've all been hurt uh, in that way, and it's, it's the same way here at church. Did you know that? The church, it's, it's an interesting family. We expect sometimes more than a person can provide because we don't know them. There are some of you that, that don't know me. You have a, an expectation of me. And if I don't make, meet that expectation in a conversation or as I walk by looking at the sound guy, that happens a lot. I'll look, I'm going back there to do some technical and I'll walk by you and it's like, hmm, Pastor Lee, hmm. <laughs> that happens. I don't mean it to happen. But we have to be very, very careful that we don't have strife within the body of Christ, within the church. It's, it's really important. But I love Abram's solution here. He's so gracious, and he says, listen, we're family. We can't do that. There's got to be peace and love between members of a family, just like there's peace and love between uh, members of the church. The problem is we're sinful. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. So we need to have Abram's attitude here is gracious, Ephesians 4, Paul writes this. Notice this verse behind me on the screen. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That's, that's the attitude. So if I snuff you and if I walk by, or if you snuff me, we just need to be kind and gracious. Man, he's having a hard day. Woo. It's, we, we just have to be very, very careful and be tenderhearted. Now, the second reason that Abram gives us here is the locals were watching. There's other people here watching. We can't argue. Abram says, hey, listen, we represent God here in this godless land. Other people are watching us. Notice at the end of verse 7, the Canaanites and parasites, they dwell in the land. And this is interesting. People People that were watching Abraham, they're undoubtedly seeing. He's, he's, he left and he came back. Gee, he's got something. Look at, he's worshiping. What God does he worship? Who does he serve? The people are noticing what's going on. And they would obviously be evaluating his religion based on the way he acts. Just like people in your family or in your neighborhood evaluate your God by the way you act. Do you represent the Lord in your speech around other people? I know this is uncomfortable, but, but this is truth. Do you represent the Lord in the way you live or act? Or how do you represent the Lord in the way you live or act around other people? In Abram's case right now, he's being very generous. He's been very gracious. He spent time with the Lord. Another good reason to be in church on Wednesday night, because if you wait between Sundays, you'll get really nasty on Thursday. <laughs> you need the Lord, and you need to worship, and, and it helps you. It helps you to focus your attention on him. But Abram was fair, and he was honest, and the people around us are watching, and they know our God by the way we act. So because they're family, and because they need to leave, live peaceably because other people are watching, 
Abram says here, please separate from me. And Abram graciously lets Lot make the choice where he would, would go. Verse 9, if you take the left, then I'll go to the right. You take the right, I'll go to the left. And Abram willingly gives up his rights. He sacrificially says, you know, for the sake of peace, for the sake of God's name, I'm just going to step back and let you make a choice. You look at whatever you want, you go wherever you want to go. Abram puts his strength and character above his own desire for wealth. I love that thought. And Paul in Romans 15, look at this. I, I've got a lot of proof texts because I love these verses, but Romans 15, 1. We then who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. That's our attitude. When there's, a, when there's strife or division, that, that we need to obey the word of the Lord. Paul says, you know, if we're strong, if we're really strong in the Lord, we just need to bear the scruples of the weak. Not compromising the truth, but just Abram here is, is considering Lot and his needs first. So Abram has learned. He's learning. See, we're seeing him grow in just a little bit here. He's going to fail again as we continue to study his life. But he's learning to grow. He's learning to humble himself. He's learning to put others first. And I love this fact because Abram remembers the promise that God had made to him back in chapter 12, verse 7. Look at it here. I've got it on the screen. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I'm going to give you this land. He's remembering. You know what? God's told me he's going to give me the land, so I'm just going to back off. I'm going to let Lot do whatever he wants to do because in the end, I have to trust the promises of God. And I believe he's doing that there. He trusted God's promise there. And here's the application. When you trust the Lord with everything, it's not your stuff, it's not your things, it's not your home or car that means much to you because you're trusting the Lord. You're putting your faith in the Lord. You're allowing him to guide and direct your life. You believe that he'll work everything out. Romans eight twenty eight. right? Here it is. You know this one. We know that all things work together to good, for good to those who love the God and who are called according to his purpose. Amen. We need to just trust the Lord. We need to put it in his hands. So Abram's solution, it involved trusting God for all of the outcome. Again, you take the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. Doesn't matter to me. So Lot, on the other hand, and we need to mention this, Lot is not thinking about Abram. He's not thinking about anybody but himself. He's, he's made a lot of money. He's a young man, and he wants to make more. And so he looks down into the plain. He sees the, the valley there, and I've been there. If you've gone to Israel, you've been there. You drive from, uh, is, from Jerusalem down to the east. You go down into the valley. It's a beautiful area down there. The lower you get in elevation, you know, then the Jordan Valley comes in view, and northward it's green and, and it's lush as you go north up to the Sea of Galilee. It's a very, very beautiful uh, valley, and that's what he looks at. Lot lived by sight. That's my point here, verse 10. Lot lifted his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a little side note Moses gives. It used to be a lot more lush than it is now. And again, I've been down to Masada. You go down um, south in the Jordan Valley toward the Dead Sea. It's, it's a desert. There's nothing down there. North, lush. South, desert. And Moses is telling us it wasn't that way during this time. It was all beautiful. It was all lush down there in the, in the valley. 
like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as far as Zoar. Then Lot, verse 11, chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. So Lot makes his decision based on what he sees. He claims the land that looks best for his cattle, water. Look, I see the river down there. Lots of water. We won't have to worry about it. Our cattle can grow and prosper. Our camels, our flocks, everything is going to benefit from going down there where there's lots of water. He's not concerned about the needs of Uncle Abe at this point in time. He's just thinking about himself, number one, me, myself, and I. And he goes down there. He's not thinking about the rest of his family because there's some evil people down there. He's not thinking about them. All he can think about is making more and more money, more wealth, more profit. That's what he looked at. He may have wondered, what would provide me the greatest wealth? Going up to the mountain where there's not as much water or down in the plain where my cattle can roam and there's water down there? I'm thinking that's what he wondered. But he should have been thinking, where's the best place for my family, for my people? And the plane was not the best place. In fact, we're going to see, he's going to run from that area, right? He's going to lose everything. He's going to lose it all. Because he looked for some place that would, would uh, boast and, and beef up his wealth, his bank account. He was just thinking about his own wealth. James Montgomery Boyce, one of, a, one of the great preachers of our day, He makes application, and I'm just going to quote what he says here. You may think that you are different from Lot, but if you put your job ahead of your family's spiritual life, if you've let your choice of a home keep you from a church in which you can grow in faith and worship, then you've moved from the highlands to the plain of the Jordan. I love the way he says that. His point really is that the follower of Jesus Christ has to have a totally different view and priority. It's not about making money and gaining stuff. It's about living life and honoring the Lord, living in integrity, living in honesty, putting others first. That's what James is saying there based on this scripture. Now, this reference to Egypt, just real quick in verse 10, I'm thinking that Moses included that because Lot made a bunch of money down there. He followed his uncle everywhere. He ends up in Egypt and We're not really sure how long he was there. He could have been there two, three, or four years. And while he's there, he ends up making a lot of money. He comes back. So he's thinking, cha-ching. He looks down and he sees Jordan, lots of, it looks kind of fertile like Egypt where we were by the Nile River for my herd. My herd can really increase and I can make a lot of money. And that's why I believe Moses put that in there. He saw water, verse 10. And everything necessary to grow herds. And then verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all. Notice that. He chose all the plain. He didn't say, hey, um, uncle, why don't I take this southern part? You take the northern part, you know, and, and there's plenty of water here. But he says, no, I want the whole Jordan River Valley here. That's mine. I'm going to choose that. And he claimed that for himself. So Abraham and Lot, now they're separated in our story here. Verse 12, my next point, Lot pitched his tent in 
Sodom. He used to have a tent in the field, and now he's moving into a city here. He's going to move into the city. He's going to go down to the people of the plains, and instead of being independent, where he can and his family can be separate from the evil people of the town, he moves right into the town with them. Verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot went east, and he dwelt, notice, in the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. So he had some people that went down, lived in a tent, but they, they were way down there by Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So Abram dwelt in Canaan. So he stayed there up in the plains, up in, in the, uh, the section between where Jerusalem is now. Uh, and then just west of that would be the Mediterranean Sea. Not a lot of land, maybe, you know, maybe 30 miles wide and a sliver that goes all the way up to Syria, but a, but a very nice land, beautiful land, very um, a, a land that can be cultivated, a land that had some water, but not like the Jordan River uh, Valley where Lot was. And so they choose these two different places. Lot chooses this great place where he can really do all this stuff, but now he's made a, uh, he's compromised because he's going to move into this area where these people are very, very evil. Again, he chose to live there because it was the best land. But now we learn from Moses that these people in Sodom, they celebrate perversity. They actually celebrate that. We see that in chapter 19. Don't turn there. I'll just throw the scriptures up real quick, and we'll read this in a few weeks. But Genesis 19 is the story. Notice the men of Sodom, both old and young, notice that. All the people from every quarter surround Lot's house. And they called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we might know them carnally. They're homosexuals. They're demanding this, this lasciviousness. They're corrupt people. And it's really interesting. I believe that that Lot knew that these people were down there, but he compromised because I can make a lot of money down there. And I just, I'll move close to them, but, but I, they won't affect me. They won't hurt me or my kids. Not, not, I'll, just, I'll just move down there. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make a living off of them, but they won't affect me. Second Peter 2, look at this verse on the screen behind me. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed, notice, by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Can you imagine what he saw? On a scale of one to 10 in lewdness, and I mean, we have Mardi Gras, we got some pretty nasty stuff going on in America, but this, this, this ranks a 10 as far as the Bible's concerned. So why did he stay there? Why did Lot stay there with his family? He compromised. He compromised spiritually because he knew his his uncle, he knew the calling of God on his life, but he compromised spiritually and he compromised morally. And he just took a tiny step. I'll just get close. I'll just, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to act like them, but I'll, I'll get close because I want to make money here. No one ever intends to fall into sin. It always happens slowly. You just kind of move that way. You just get a little closer to sin and I, I can stay isolated and, and, and have this relationship with someone. We can still be friends, even though they're very corrupt and they're always wanting me to do their corrupt things. It's always slow, and, and so it's like the frog in the pot. You've heard that story, right? 
the frog gets in the pot, you know, the water's cool, and he's swimming around, and the water heats up. It's on a stove. It heats up really slow, and, and pretty soon it's warm, and he stays in the pot because it's just slowly, slowly getting warmer and warmer and warmer. The water warms slowly, and then before the frog know it, he's frog leg supper, you know. He, it cooks him, and that's the way sin is. It, it happens very slowly. In the book of James, the women are studying this. They're completing their study right now in their fall study, but here's a great scripture, James 1, 14, 15, that really graphically depicts these four steps in this downward spiral to sin. Notice what James says, but each one is, number one, tempted. He's drawn away by his own, number two, desire. He's enticed, and then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to, number three, sin. And then when it's full grown, look what sin brings to your life, death. This, this progression, it's slow. It's not quick. It's, you just move too close to that sin. You start watching that thing on TV or maybe on the internet, and you just get close to, oh, I can, I'm good. I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm good. I can watch this and still go to church. And slowly but surely, this takes over. It takes over. It's temptation, desire, sin, and sin always brings forth death. What starts out as a thought, it just starts out as this this. This just thought in your mind. If not immediately resisted, it's going to progress in its action, and pretty soon you're going to find yourself at the end of this spiral, temptation, desire, sin, and death. With every temptation, there's, there's something. Now, think about temptation for a moment. Is temptation sinful? It's normal. Every one of us go through these things. I think temptation isn't wrong. It's just normal. If you've ever been tempted, that means you're normal. If you say, I've never been tempted, then you're dead, you know, because it's just not the case. We all are tempted, and it's very normal to be tempted. Either you give in or you stand your ground. In Lot's case, he, he gave in. He compromised, and slowly, 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 he ended up being in this lifestyle that destroyed his family Lot pitched his tent in Sodom, and his family paid the price. But what about Abraham? The contrast to Lot now, or Abram here in our story. What happened to him? And here's my point. God blesses Abram. He's going to bless him, verse 14, and he's going to give him three promises. And this is really, really important for you to understand, uh, Israel, even today. This, is this blessing is so important. Notice the three promises. Number one, land, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. God couldn't talk to Lot. He wouldn't listen. He, he was off. And, but, but Abram stayed. He was in a place where God could speak to him. So God spoke to Abram after Lot had separated. Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. Do you see that promise that he makes to Abram here? And then the second blessing is for family, descendants. And the, the promise here is that Abram's uh, descendants are going to be so numerous that, that you couldn't count them all. And I will make, verse 16, your descendants as the dust of the earth. You've heard the sand of the seashore, the stars in the sky. You've heard that? Think about dust. How much dust is on the planet or even on your bureau at home in, in your bedroom. 
I mean, count those particles. There's gonna, you can't even number the people that you're going to have. That's the, the, that's the example that we're given here. They're going to be like the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. In other words, you're going to have lots and lots and lots and lots of descendants. The third blessing to Abram, and I love this last one here. It's a prayer walk. Verse 17. God's going to encourage uh, Abram here to take this prayer walk through Canaan. Wherever you put your foot, the survey that you take, I'm going to give you every place that you set your foot. I love this. Arise, verse 17, in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Now, think about this. Lot was given the best land. Abram looked and said, you go wherever you want to go. Lot looks and said, I want that fertile land. I want the best land. And he goes there. And Abram was left here in Canaan, but God comes to him now. And he ministers to him and speaks to him. And it's, it's like saying, Abram, you did the right thing. You showed mercy. You put, you put the other first. This, this whole list of things. You've done the right thing. You've been gracious and kind. And yet, he's got no kids. And God just told him he's going to have descendants. He, he doesn't have any children. He's, he was 75 when he first went to Canaan. He c- could be 80 to 85 years old now. He's right at the prime of his life, by the way. Um, these people lived. These people lived. He's going to live, 100, I think, 160 years. So he's right at the median age in his life. And Because remember, from the, flood, from the uh, uh, garden, they, they lived 900 years, and now it's, it's slowly, slowly, slowly decreasing. After the flood, we had these people that lived still for several hundred years. He's going to live 160 years. But he's right in his prime at this time of his life. And he doesn't have any kids. And God says, you're going to have as many kids as, as there's dust, if you could number that. And he says, Whatever, wherever you walk, it's going to be yours. Two important facts in this text here, this, especially this section. God has made an eternal promise to Abram. And I believe, and there are many of us that believe this, there are also evangelical Christians that do not believe in the Abrahamic covenant here. I believe this is literal. I take it literal like I take the rest of the Bible. I don't believe it's spiritual at all. I believe God is saying, see the land, look every direction, wherever you walk, it's yours. And I believe that covenant, like it says forever, is still in force. There are those Christians that don't believe. They deny that. They said, oh, it's just spiritual, and we got to take over the kingdom, and we got to make it right. So we, and, and this is where uh, the whole voting thing gets real skewed by these people. They believe that they have to bring the kingdom into force by, by only Christians running in office and only voting for Christians. So they wouldn't vote for a Mormon last election. They, they believe that they're going to bring the kingdom in, which is entirely not what the Bible says. The Bible says that it's Jesus who's going to come back and it's going to be a time of tribulation that happens before he returns and he's going to set up this kingdom. But that kingdom is the kingdom, it's eternal, it's, it's going to be a thousand year kingdom on the planet and then finally an eternal kingdom that was promised to the Jews and Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, all the scriptures, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all the scriptures, Zechariah, they tell about this coming kingdom. 
And all the Jews looked forward to that. So it's really important. This scripture, I think, is really important for you to grasp. I believe this is a forever covenant here. The land belongs to Israel. That's why Israel's fighting for it. That's why I believe America needs to vote on a side of Israel, again, for your vote. Don't vote for a candidate that doesn't support Israel. You need to vote for one. Be on God's side of that issue and vote for one that will support Israel. Very important because that land belongs to them. God covenanted that with Abram, the Jewish people's father. Secondly, God honors those who yield their rights to believing in God's promise. That's really the big application right here. Abraham didn't demand his own way, and God gave back everything. Think about that. Abraham said, you know what? You can have the best. You take the best. And he submitted himself. He yielded himself. He showed grace, and look what God does. He blesses him. That's how it is in our lives, Christians. You take a second seat. Don't take that job. I want that job. I can make money, but Lord, not my will, but thine will. Or you can beat your way up the ladder. You can tear people down. You can lie about them so that you can climb the corporate ladder and get ahead of them, stepping on heads and trashing people. And when you get to the top, everybody's going to hate your guts. Or you can say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. I just, you go ahead and do it. After you, just you, you go first. When you do that, God will bless you. I, I truly believe that in my life that's been the case. And I haven't always done that. I've tried to push my way to the top but it's so much better to wait on the Lord. Abram didn't demand his own way. That's the point, and God gave him back everything. And then God's promising Abram land here is known as this covenant, which I've already described. It's it's unconditional. There's conditional covenants and unconditional covenants in the Bible. Conditional covenant, here's one, marriage. You fulfill your side, and she fulfills her side, and then you have this marriage. There's condition, There's conditions to it. In this covenant, there's, it's unconditional. God says, I will give you this land. It's all dependent on the Lord. He's the one that did it. It's, it's an unconditional covenant that God says, and you'll have this land forever. Abram doesn't do anything for this land. This is God's plan. This is his sovereign work, and it's known as the Abrahamic covenant. It's through the Jews. God chose the Jewish people. That's why we're studying Abram. It's through the Jews that the Messiah would come. We read about that back in Genesis chapter 2, the seed of the serpent. Remember the seed of the serpent way back in Genesis 2. When man sinned, God already presented this plan for redemption of man. And here's the plan being carried out through this man Abraham and his family that's going to have descendants like dust on the planet. And through these descendants, you'll have the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to come and make everything right. He's going to bring the Abrahamic covenant to a fruition. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years of righteousness. It's a beautiful truth here. It's all part of the Abrahamic covenant. And it's everlasting covenant. It says, he says forever there. And through this covenant, come all the promises that we have as Christians for redemption. In Genesis 12, verse 3, notice it here on the screen. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, the families of the earth shall be blessed. How are all the families of the earth going to be blessed? Messiah from Jesus Christ, God's plan of redemption. He, he started it 
in the very beginning in the book of Genesis here. We've read about it. And now we're seeing this man, Abram, who through his line and descendants are going to come. God's plan of redemption, the Messiah. And all will be blessed through him. And I believe God's method of fulfilling this Abrahamic covenant here is literal. In other words, the land is Israel's. The people are God's chosen people, the Jews. We were, you know, like I said, in February, we were in um, Israel standing at the wall and, and there were happy Jews that are dancing and there's sad Jews that are praying. And there's, it's just really different. There's different sects of the Jews. They wear different hats and different colors to identify who they belong with, what rabbi they have. You know, it's, some have phylacteries here and on their, their arms. I've got some video. If you want to see it after church, I'll show it. It's on my phone. Dancing and singing and I remember we were down there on the men's side. There's a men's and a women's side going up to the, the wall, the most holy site for the, the Jews. And we're standing on the men's side, and, and um, uh, Philip and, and um, our guide, and who else was there? Ernie. It was Ernie. And we all had our little yarmulke on, you know, because you have to wear, you have to cover your head to go close to the, to the uh, wall. And you walk up, you just approach the wall, it's just a bunch of stone, but it's very, very holy to the Jews because that's where the temple was. That's where the temple's gonna be rebuilt, closest to it. So the Jews love to get up there. They love to pray, they love to sing. And there were some guys there that were singing and dancing. They had their prayer shawls on and their yarmulkes and they're just so happy, happy, happy because they're, 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 they trust in the Lord. They love their God. And, and I believe we need to honor those people we need to honor the Jews, and we, we need to understand that we're their brothers, but they don't know the Messiah came. They missed the Messiah. Their eyes were blinded, the scripture says. But there's this covenant, and we know, and we've read about it. We understand it, and we believe that God, I believe that God will bless all who bless Israel. It's again why I want to stand for Israel and everything that I, I do and how I vote. And the promise there that, that all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, let's go back to Genesis. Just to finish here, Genesis 13, verse 18, my last point. Abram's growing faith. We see as a result of all these things, he's, his faith is growing. Then Abram moved his tent, and he went and he dwelt by the terebinth tree, the oak trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built... When he got there, he built an altar to the Lord. So Lot moved to the city of Sodom. Abram moved to this place where there's an oak grove, a beautiful oak grove. And in that oak grove, he, he built an altar and he honored the Lord. Lot's now going to deal with the, the wickedness, and we're going to see that as we get closer to chapter 19. But Abe's faith is growing. He he called on the name of the Lord when he came back from Egypt. And here again, after he graciously says, Lot, you go your way, I'm going to go my way. I'll go whatever opposite direction just so we can keep the peace in our family. And he ends up going, and there's an oak place, there's this oak grove, and, and uh, he builds an altar for the Lord. Abram followed God, and he ended up with all this land and all God's blessing. And you know the story, Lot. He's going to lose everything. Someone said, the world's way of getting ahead is to look out for number one. God's way to blessing is looking up to number one. Amen? 
Father, thank you for the word tonight, and I just pray that we would have learned many lessons from looking at the man Abram, the story of he and his nephew, Lot. Father, I pray that as a result of this story, we would be humble people and gracious people, trusting you through our trials, and and like Abram, learning to, to build another altar just to worship you again and again through the difficulties and through the pain. Lord, just do a refreshing work in our hearts tonight. Just remind us, Father, how we need to trust you and your promises. And this huge promise you made for Abram that we see working today, even as you brought the nation back as uh, was prophesied in the Old Testament in 1947 and 48. You recreated this nation of your people, the Israelites, and gave them their land back. Uh, We just know, Lord, that you have a plan and you have a purpose. I pray that we would be men and women of the word, that we would trust your word, that we would trust you. And Lord, that we would make a gracious decision follow you and not just to follow uh, wealth and stuff. So Lord, bless now your people. Cause them, Lord, to just receive your word gladly. Cause it to bear fruit in our lives, Lord, as we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.